This morning I, I come to this second of five commitments for every Christian with, um, I'll just say, a little bit of trepidation. There are a few sermons that a pastor could preach knowing that uh, things could get a little warm in the sanctuary as he's preaching. One of those sermons would be on a biblical sexual ethic. That, that's a little bit testy. Or maybe, uh, maybe perhaps uh, something related to biblical gender roles for men and women in the church. A third uh, that is uh, a bit of a hot-button issue in the church, and yet Scripture regularly and clearly addresses, is this issue of humility and obedience, particularly uh, uh, self, a self-imposed humility to God and obedience to God and to those that God has put in authority over us, those that God has called to lead us specifically in the church. This second of the five commitments uh, to, uh, for every Christian is this, that I will be humble and obedient. Last week we saw the first, I will worship with my church family. This week, the second, I will be humble and obedient. And what I want us to see from 1 Peter 5 and from Hebrews 13, 17, is that Christians, regardless of their calling, regardless of their position within the church, are to be these two things, humble and obedient. Elders, pastors, overseers, I'll use those three words interchangeably because Scripture does, are to lead with the humility of Christ out of obedience to Him. And Christians, all Christians, are, sub, are to submit, are to obey with humility uh, those that they have called to lead them as their elders, as their pastors, their overseers, praying for their wisdom and seeking to care for them as well. I hope that as we encounter God's instruction for Christians to be humble and obedient from His Word this morning, that we would together, as a church body, commit to leading and being led with humility and care for one another. Having said that, let's just dive right in to it. Would you stand with me as we read together 1 Peter 5, verses 1 through 5. Peter writing to uh, a number of churches that are kind of scattered throughout modern day Asia Minor says these words, so I exhort the elders among you, those are the pastors, the leaders in the church, as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. God bless his church as we read and obey his word. You may be seated. The first half of this sermon, I am going to be preaching to mostly two people in this room, myself and Pastor Danny, and the rest of you are just along for the ride. 1 Peter 5, verses 1 through 3, teach first and, and primarily that elders, pastors, overseers are to lead the church that has called them to lead them and, has been, and who God has called to lead his church to lead with Christ-like humility. Pastors are to lead with Christ-like humility. 
Now this chapter, 1 Peter chapter 5, surprise, surprise, comes after 1 Peter chapter 4. You saw that coming. And 1 Peter 4 describes for us, or in his letter, Peter describes the kind of suffering and difficulty that all Christians can expect to endure as they follow Jesus in the midst of a culture that doesn't. Following Jesus is to swim upstream against the current of the desires of societies and cultures that don't follow Christ. But that doesn't excuse Christians, it doesn't excuse believers from having to continue to stand against temptation. It doesn't excuse us from having to uh, uh, keep from giving honor to those who revile us. It doesn't excuse us from enduring harsh treatment for what we believe and enduring that harsh treatment with grace. So in light of all of the suffering that Christians can expect and the call of God upon their lives to endure those things with grace, in light of all that, Peter writes in chapter 5, verse 1, so, having said all that, let me say this, so, I exhort the elders among you, as a fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, so on and so forth. This is to say, beginning chapter 5, verse 1, with that word so, or therefore, or in light of this, is to say, knowing that all of you are called to be, and all that you are called to endure as Christians in this world, Peter says, I exhort you leaders of the church, you pastors, you elders, to lead with humility and grace who are under your care. That word elder comes from the Greek word presbyteros, refers to the office of elder or overseer that we see throughout Scripture. These two uh, uh, words for this one office, elder or overseer, are used synonymously, almost interchangeably in the New Testament. There are two different offices of the church that are mentioned in the New Testament. There's elder, overseer, sometimes often called pastor, and deacon, two offices. Today, we usually refer to the office of elder or overseer as pastor. That's how we refer to myself and to Danny, those that, the, that, that God and the church have called to lead this body. And this uh, word, pastor, gets its understanding from what Peter says in verse 2 of chapter 5, where he says, shepherd, pastor, the flock of God. So, elder, pastor, overseer, those three words all refer to the same function of those men who are called by God and by the church to lead local congregations of believers. A man who experiences a call of God upon his life to lead a local church is not a pastor until a local church calls him and asks him to lead them, right? Elders or overseers are then to fulfill the qualifications for the position that are given by God through the Apostle Paul in two particular places. I think you have these in your worship guide. You may want to write them down and read them later. But if you want to see what kind of men elders, pastors, overseers are to be, read 1 Timothy 3, verses 1 through 7. And read Titus chapter 1, verses 5 through 9 this week. There you'll notice, why don't we just turn to... 1 Timothy 3 for a moment. 1 Timothy 3, you can just listen uh, to this if you can't get there quickly in your, uh, in your Bibles. Listen to what Paul says to the young elder in Ephesus, Timothy. He says, The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert or he may become puffed up with 
conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. Notice in that description of who overseers, elders, pastors of a church are to be, that elders, that pastors are not called to a higher standard of moral living than any other Christian is called to live. But rather, they are to be examples to the body of believers of the kind of uh, life that Christ has saved each of us to live, right? Of what Christian does God not say they must be above reproach? Of what Christian does God say it's okay to be a polygamist? Of what Christian does God ever say it's okay not to be sober-minded? Of what Christian does God ever say, don't worry, you don't have to be self-controlled? Of what Christian does God ever say it's okay to be disrespectful or disrespectful or unhospitable? Of what Christian does God ever say, go ahead and drink all you want, get three sheets to the wind, don't worry about it? Of what Christian does God ever say, you can be violent and not gentle? You can be quarrelsome. It's okay if you love money. Certainly no, God expects these, the, the opposite of these qualities, the qualities that, that elders and pastors are to exemplify for the church. He calls all of his church to live those things. And so elders, pastors, overseers are not called to a higher standard of Christian living, but they are to exemplify Christ's standard for Christian living. And see how Peter then, in the verses that follow in chapter 5, instructs uh, these elders at, among the churches to lead the very people who have called them and to lead, uh, uh, and those that God has called them to lead. First of all, he says in uh, verse 2, that they are to shepherd the flock of God that is among them, exercising oversight. This means giving spiritual leadership and direction to the church. In other places of the Bible, elders are called overseers. It's the same uh, root word that is used for overseer and exercising oversight. They're they're to do this not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have them. Which means that pastor elders should not be forced to lead, but should have an affirmed call by God through the church to do so. Pastoring is not done from a sense of obligation or debt to be repaid, but from joy and freedom in Christ. Pastors are to shepherd the flock of God among them, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, says Peter. Which means that they are to have humble, serving hearts, seeking to lift others up by humbling themselves. They're to do this willingly because God has called them, and not because they are beholden to a salary or pursuing status or reputation or trying to promote their own image and or platform. Pastors ought not shepherd churches or lead churches so that they can get a publishing deal or to end up on a preaching circuit somewhere. They're not to do it for shameful gain, but, but eagerly. They're to do this in a manner not domineering over those in their charge, which means that elder overseers have authority given by God and authority given by the congregations that call them to lead with decisiveness and conviction. But elders, pastors, overseers are not kings of the congregation. Pastors are only to exercise the authority that God has given, and only in the pattern of Christ, who never rejected his authority, but also never used it to subjugate or to demean others. Pastors are to be an example to the flock, says Peter, which means overseers are to, be, uh, are, are to pastor, to lead churches as examples. They are to be types, they are to be shadows, they are to be living road signs that point others to Jesus and to model the life of a disciple of Jesus for those that they are leading. Peter goes further and he says, doing all of this, when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. 
Notice with me the reward for uh, pastor elders who pastor well. Their reward is not financial remuneration. Their reward is not status in this life. Their reward is not popularity and fame in the world. Their reward is not a paycheck. Rather, the reward for pastors who lead and serve their church as well is a crown of glory given in eternity by Christ, the chief shepherd, the arch pastor, if you will, the divine overseer of his global flock. The Bible is very clear here, friends, about who pastors work for, and it isn't church members. Churches certainly have the right to call their own pastors, absolutely. Churches have the right to determine the compensation that they set aside or give to their pastors. Churches have the right to ask certain things of their pastors, certain biblical requirements, uh, parts of, of their uh, pastoring, that they, aspects of their pastoring they would seek to have them to, uh, to exercise. Pastor, or churches even have the authority, the right to fire their pastors if they so please. But churches do not finally determine whether pastors have been faithful to lead them rightly. Jesus does. Amen. So, dear brothers, you who may be sensing the call of God on your life to pastoral ministry, to lead your church as a pastor elder, uh, Pastor Danny, I say this to you and to myself, we must not fall into the trap of pleasing people, even good and godly Christians. Because our final evaluation will not be conducted by the people that we have made glad and happy, but our final evaluation will come from Christ himself. Amen. Elders, pastors, overseers are to lead with Christ-like humility, using the office that they hold uh, to humble themselves that they might lift others up, to Amen. care for the flock of God among them. So. Pastors, I speak to myself, I speak to Pastor Danny, the two pastors that our church has, has called and given us authority to, to lead and to guide you in Christ-likeness. I say this to any uh, young man or old man who feels that God may be calling him to pastoral ministry or leading him in that direction. Pastors, please Christ and pursue your heavenly reward by shepherding his flock the way he would. Amen. Pastors are to obey the call of God on their lives by being humble in the way that they lead the flock that God has called them to. But secondly, humility and obedience are not just commitments that pastors must make. That pastors, pastors make a commitment to be obedient to God by humbling themselves and leading with Christ-like shepherding those that uh, have called them to be their leaders. But humility and obedience are for every Christian. Humility and obedience are for church members as well. And so we see in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 4, and in Hebrews 13, 17, which we'll read in just a moment, that Christians are to trust and follow their leaders with Christ-like obedience. If I could say these two statements slightly differently, I'd say it this way. Pastors are to be obedient to God by leading with humility. And church members are obedient to God by humbling themselves to follow their pastors. Look with me at 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 4. Verse 4 and 5. Excuse me, just five, sorry. There Peter says, Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Some of your translations may say, be obedient to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And now turn back in your Bibles just a few pages to Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17. Where the author of Hebrews writes this to Jewish Christians 
who are learning how to follow, how, follow Jesus as, as believers in Him. The author of Hebrews says, To the church, obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this then with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. We see in these two passages, 1 Peter 5, 5, and Hebrews 13, 17, that humility and submission are not just for leaders, leaders who lead with humility and obedience to Jesus. But these two things, humility and obedience, are also for Christians who are following the lead of their pastors. 1 Peter 5, 4, Hebrews 13, 17 are both communicating the need for every Christian to submit to and to follow with trust the pastors that they themselves have called to lead them in greater obedience to Christ. In 1 Peter 5, 4, Peter tells the younger men to clothe themselves, all of them, with humility and to obey their pastor elders. And you read in Hebrews 13, 17, the same call to the whole assembly of believers to obey their leaders and to submit to them. Now, the idea in both of these passages is that Christians will humble themselves to follow the men that God and the church have called to lead them. Now, words like obey and submit, especially when applied to human relationships, are like nails on the chalkboard to us at times. Obedience and submission are not words that we like in our present uh, Western American 21st century context. Words like obedience and submission offend our sinful desires for total independence. To be told what we to, to be told that we should submit to, that to be told that we should yield direction to someone else, particularly a pastor who who might even be younger than us, younger in the faith, sometimes prone to fits of enthusiasm and zeal. These things hurt our feelings. I'll be honest, I know that I may not always be the easiest leader to submit to and obey. I'll admit that. But see why it is good for Christians to submit to their pastors. God doesn't just give a call to Christians. He doesn't just give a command upon their lives without also demonstrating the subsequent benefit of being obedient to what he has said. The writer in Hebrews thirteen seventeen, he says that submission... To qualified and Christ-like pastors is good and profitable for Christians because pastors like these are keeping watch over your souls, he says. Obey your leaders and submit to them for because they are keeping watch over your souls as those who have to give an account. That's the same picture of pastoring that Peter gives just in shorter form, isn't it? Shepherding the flock of God by feeding them from God's word, by helping them to grow in spiritual maturity, by prodding them along when they stop too long to linger on a patch of grass that's been long worn over, throwing his own body in between the flock and the snakes and the wolves that would seek to harm and destroy them. That phrase, keeping watch over your souls, which, what, which is what pastors do, implies an ongoing and consistent vigilance for the spiritual well-being of those who have entrusted their spiritual direction to these elders, pastors, overseers. So then submission to men who are qualified and called by God to care for our spiritual state is not a bad thing. In fact, it's quite a good thing. The author of Hebrews says it is a profitable thing for Christians to do this. It is a profitable thing. It is good for you to obey your leaders, to submit to the leadership and direction of the pastors that you have called because this causes you to be led and and, uh, this causes pastors to lead and to love and for you to be led and to be loved and watched over uh, uh, with joy on the part of the pastor. 
and not with the groaning that comes with the unneeded stress of conflict and backbiting and wondering what people, what, what sort of uh, rebellion is being fomented against you that week. Imagine, friends, a sheepdog who, bloodied from fighting off a pack of wolves, returns to a flock of sheep that only want to bite and kick him more. Contrast that image with this one. I think there's a picture on the, uh, in the queue. I hope there's a picture in the queue. There you go. Of a sheepdog, beaten and bloodied from having chased off a wolf who would seek to eat the sheep, returning back and resting and recu- recuperating from his fight, being comforted by a sheep. This is a picture of pastors who pastor well, giving their lives for the care of the flock, and and of a flock that loves their pastors and seeks to care for them for the work that they do for them. This is Hebrews 13, 17 in, in, in short graphic form. Listen, pastoral ministry and pastoral leadership is about so much more than building a large congregation. It's about making disciples of Jesus who are going to make disciples of Jesus. And for those who are called, there is no greater reward for our ministry than having church members who pray for us, than having church members who trust us. There's no greater thing that you can do for Pastor Danny or me than to assume the best of us and to work alongside us to teach and to fulfill the word of God among his people. Christians, I've spoken to pastors this morning. Now let me speak to all of us where pastors are to please Christ by lovingly and humbly pastoring the flock of God among them, Christians, you then please Christ and receive the reward of Christ-like care by trusting and following your leaders. At this point, a reluctant pastor may ask, why would I bother to put myself and my family on the line and humble myself to serve and love Christians who don't always agree with me and who don't always understand why I lead the way that I do? Why would I do that? Or maybe the reluctant Christian or church member would think, this pastor didn't save me, Jesus did. So why on earth should I obey someone in the church who isn't Jesus? And to both the arrogant pastor and the hesitant church member, I would say, let's read Philippians 2, 1 through 11 together. Turn with me in your Bibles a few pages back from where we are to Paul's letter to the the Philippians. Chapter 2. Verses 1 through 11, just listen to what Paul says. So if there's any encouragement in Christ, if there's any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you, Look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. And have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. This is the kind of mindset that Paul instructs the church. Church members and elders, pastors, overseers at the same time. All of us are supposed to have this mind in common. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself being, uh, by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth 
and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Dear friends, there is no one in the body of Christ, the family of faith, who is above anyone else. There is not this artificial distinction. There is not a hierarchy that separates pastors from everybody else. We are all following Christ together. And we are all to consider everyone else as more significant than ourselves. We all, each of us, like Jesus, are to set aside our perceived rights for the good of others. Pastor elders should be obedient to Christ by humbly serving and caring for their congregation because Jesus humbled himself to the point of death on a cross for them the same as he did every other sinner. And Christians should humble themselves to obey their leaders because Christ has modeled for them perfect obedience by fulfilling the Father's will and direction that he would die for sinners. You see, Jesus gives the perfect example for both humility and obedience. For every Christian and for every pastor, elder, overseer, regardless of their position in the church and regardless of their calling in life, all of us are to exemplify, to have this mind of Christ in us, humbling ourselves in obedience to God and those that he has called to lead us so that we can give a picture, give an image of Jesus to the world. I'd like to give a few pictures of bad pastoral leadership, <laughs> ways that, that, that maybe some people are tempted to, maybe some pastors are tempted to pastor, and maybe some churches are tempted to think their pastor, think the, the uh, ways that they, they ought to think that their pastors should pastor. I'll get the sentence out in a minute. But I need a little help to do this, so I've asked Jared and, and Marshall to, uh, you guys come join me up here for just a second. I'll give a, a few examples of bad, bad pastoral leadership, Okay. So Jared and Marshall are going to, uh, you're just going to represent the church, okay? And I'll represent a pastor. How about that? Does that work? Okay, good. So one faulty, one bad, incomplete view of pastoral leadership looks a lot like the pastor as drill sergeant, right? Who looks at his congregation. He says, hey, shape up. Let's go. We got work to do and we got stuff going on. So you better get to work and you better do what I say. And if you don't do what I say, you're going to be in big trouble. You understand? Yes, sir. Hey, that's a good. (laughs) You know, with a response like that, I'm starting to reconsider this illustration. (laughs) As much and as gratifying as it may be for, for the drill sergeant type pastor to hear, yes, sir. Right? That kind of leadership is exactly what, what Peter says don't to do. He says not domineering, not lording over those under your care. Right? That is lording my authority over them, saying, I'm the pastor, I set the direction, you do what I want, come hell or high water, let's go, let's do it. Right? And if you're not with me, you're against me, so get out of here. That's a bad picture of pastoral leadership, pastoral ministry. Another bad example of pastoral leadership looks like this. Hey, Jared, man, it's, it's, uh, it's I'm just so glad you're here, and you look tense. I just want to, you know, kind of rub out some of that uh, tension. Man, Marshall, your your hair looks awesome today, buddy. You are just styling and profiling. I'm so you know. I know you know. I know you know because because you're just an awesome guy, and and I love you. And I'm just so glad you're here. You guys just keep coming. You keep tithing, and uh, boy, I'm just glad that you're here. Right? Don't worry about doing anything. I got it taken care of. Okay? So you guys just keep coming. You just keep tithing, and, and I, will just, I will just love on you as much as I can. I got 
That's really appealing to, uh, to Marshall, right? But it's a bad picture of pastoral leadership because I'm not actually calling them to do anything but to show up and fill a seat, right? Pastoring the flock of God is, is not creating fat lambs ready for slaughter, Okay, And that's all that that kind of pastoral leadership does. Here's another one. Another bad picture of pastoral ministry looks like this. Hey, you guys go ahead and just have, have, a, seat, have a seat right there. Okay, You can sit all the way down. It's fine. <laughs> Crisscross applesauce. All right? Fantastic. Listen, I'm so glad you're here. I've, I just want you guys to know I've been to seminary and I've done a lot of education and I've become a really good teacher and I have a lot of sage advice to give to you. And so when you come to church, I just want to teach you what God's word means. I'm just going to teach you, teach you, teach you. And when you leave, you're going to be so wise and full of godly wisdom and just keep coming back every week and I'll just keep teaching you. Right, this picture is is a little bit like the, the the pastor who's fattening the sheep for slaughter, right? Except that here now the pastor is is elevating himself up as this this wise sage who has all of the wisdom and is and is and is by his grace doling it out to those who would like to listen to him, right? That kind of pastor is not making disciples of Jesus. That kind of pastor is making disciples of himself, right? I want to give you a. A fourth picture of what I think good pastoral ministry looks like. Both of you guys can stand up. Marshall, have a seat right there. Jared, you're just going to have to stand to the side for a second, buddy. Sorry. This is what I think pastoral ministry in the vein of 1 Peter 5 looks like. Look, man, Marshall following Jesus is hard, super hard. Probably the hardest thing you'll ever do in your life. You're going to come against a lot of, of friction and pushback from a world that doesn't understand Jesus, that doesn't want to follow him. But listen, following Jesus is the most important thing you can do with your life, giving your whole life to him. And, and I've spent some time doing some training. I feel like God's given me a, a call in my life that the church has affirmed that. And, and that call is to lead and to teach you to be a faithful follower of Jesus. Now out in the world, it hurts and people are mean and they're beating you up. And I know you're tired and I know you're weary. And I know that it's, I know that it's hard to keep going sometimes. I know that your feet hurt. I know that you're blistered from just w- walking in the path of Jesus against a culture that hates you. But listen, dude, we've got to come together around the word of, of God. We've got to come together around the Great Commission. We have to make disciples of Jesus. We, there are people dying today and going to hell because they don't know Christ the way that you do. So I know that your feet hurt. I know that you're sore, but listen, so, do, so are Jared's, right? And so listen, we've all got to do this together. We've got a mission. We've got a, a task to complete to make disciples of all nations. I can't do it on my own, and God has called you to help him in that effort to get the gospel everywhere. Now, listen, there's a long line of people whose feet are also hurting, and I've got some other folks to lead, so what I need you to do is just wash the next guy's feet and then come follow me as I try to follow Jesus, all right? Okay, thank you. Guys, that's what I think. You, you can be seated, thank you. That's the kind of picture that I think Peter's giving us of pastoral leadership and pastoral ministry. Not as one who sets himself up as king of the congregation. Not as one who sees himself as the wise sage who has all the wisdom. And if you want to know anything about God, you've got to come to me. Not as the one who is domineering over 
the church that has called him, but as one who is faithfully leading, uh, following Jesus and leading those that have called them to be their leader to follow Jesus. He looks a lot more like a field marshal or a field general than he does a king with a crown on his head. Pastoral ministry, shepherding the flock of God among us, is something that we do out of joy for Christ who's called us, and, and following pastors who shepherd, who pastor with joy is something that, ch- that Christians, that church members do out of joy for having pastors that love and care them enough to wash their feet when they're beaten and broken and, and hurting in a world that's just hard to be a Christian in. Amen. Church, this picture of the life of a congregation between the congregation and their pastors, I, I pray is compelling to you. Pastor Danny, you and I and every other man in our church who has served as an elder or pastor in another church should be convinced of the necessity of leading with humility like this. It's hard. In my sinful heart, I hate leading with humility. I would much rather be the dominating, domineering dictator. But that is not who God has called me to be. It is not how he has called me to lead. And God help me if I ever lead that way. Dear Christian, this blessed family relationship between you and your pastors should inspire you to pray for them, to cheer them on, and to press them toward godliness, knowing that as they lead in Christ-like faithfulness, so also will you grow as you follow them. I'd like to say a word at this point to those who may be reluctant to this vision or this picture of pastoral ministry. Uh, and even church membership. Listen, the congregation that, that God and, and that the congregation has called me to care for is this one. The members of First Baptist Church of West Albuquerque. I can't be responsible spiritually. God will not hold me to account spiritually for how I have pastored members of another church here in town. I'm not... I'm not known by them. They have not, they have not asked me to be their pastor and, and they've not committed their life to the congregation that, uh, that has called me to lead them. God will hold me to account for those that I have direct charge over. God will hold Pastor Danny to account for you, the members of First Baptist Church of West Albuquerque. So that's some relief for pastors. We, we, we know that we're only going to be accountable, responsible to God for those who have actually been in our charge. But there's, there's a similar sort of call there for every Christian. I know that belonging to a church, being a member of a church, is not a popular opinion or, or a popular uh, sort of desire among people today. We, we treat membership to things with, with sort of flippancy, like we do a gym membership or a Costco membership, where it's like, I'll go if I want to, I'll take advantage of the services from time to time, and, um, and you know, whatever, that's how I treat my membership at church too. I'll go sometimes, I'll know some people, but some days if I just want to go uh, and kind of show up anonymously and leave quietly without any relationship with anybody, that's fine too. Well, friends, as a member of a church, that's not fine. And as a Christian, if you're seeking to follow God faithfully and to be obedient to what Hebrews 13, 17 says, to obey your leaders and those who are ruling over you as those uh, who, who are going to have a, who are watching over your soul have to give an account to God. If you're a Christian and you want to be obedient to all of God's word, you need to be obedient to some pastor. And that pastor needs to know you. That's why our church practices formal church membership. It's why Pastor Danny and I meet with every person who says they'd like to join our church to hear about their testimony of how they came to faith in Christ. 
How they came to see their, uh, the, the, the depth of their sin and their need for a Savior. To hear about when they consciously and publicly said, Jesus is Lord, I'm giving my life to Him. To hear about the time that they were baptized as believers in Jesus. And to hear from them the same gospel message that we seek to preach every single week. That Christ died for sinners. That He was raised again on the third day. And everyone who places their faith in Him can be forgiven of sin and have the promise of eternal life. We meet with everyone who wants to join our church because we want to know where they have been as a Christian and how God is still messing with them even as a believer and how we can work alongside God to help them follow Jesus more faithfully. But if you're a Christian who doesn't believe in church membership, you're a Christian who believes that you don't need a pastor to just go to a church and sit under somebody's teaching. They may be a great Bible teacher, you may be a regular member here, and if you're, if you're simply content to just hear me preach every week, right, you will get the, the, the benefit of that, but only that benefit. If all you want to hear is me teach and preach the Bible, that is all you will ever get from me. But if you commit your life to the life of this church, you get so much more. If you become a member of First Baptist Church of West Albuquerque by, uh, through communicating to everyone that you've placed your faith in Jesus, you've been baptized in profession with that faith, or you're seeking to become a Christian for the first time and place your faith in Jesus and be baptized in accordance with that, with that profession of faith, if you want to join your life to the life of this church, you get so much more than just my teaching on Sunday morning, which I would say is probably the least of all the benefits you get from being a church member. Now you get to be known by some 200 or so other people who are considering you better than themselves. 200 other people who want to care for your spiritual needs to lift you up in times of difficulty. 200 other people or so who want to be obedient to God by ministering to you and with you. You join a mission force in Albuquerque that is 200 or so strong that is seeking to take the gospel to our neighbors and to the nations. You are no longer a Lone Ranger Christian. Now you're part of a posse, okay? Being a member of a church is, is about so much more than just saying, this is where I attend and this is where I tithe. Being a member of a church is to say, these are the people that I've committed my life to. These are, these are the men that I am trusting to watch over my soul in times of trial and difficulty. This is my posse in Jesus. These are the people that I'm going to ride or die with for the sake of Christ. Church membership is important, but church membership doesn't happen without humility and obedience on part of both its pastors and its congregation. Dear friends, I want to close this way. In light of what Scripture teaches us today, I want to give you the commitment that both Pastor Danny and I uh, are willing to give you as your pastors. Pastor Danny, would you join me as we commit to our church this way? Friends and members of First West, we will, by God's help, shepherd your souls with godly care. Amen. We will willingly and eagerly oversee the ministry of the gospel as pastor elders of this church. Amen. We will further set ourselves in faithfulness to the tasks of prayer and to the sound teaching of God's word. Amen. We will do this of our own free will and not to gain anything for ourselves. We will strive to lead as humble servants and as worthy examples of faith and repentance. We will do this to please the Lord and not men. Lord, help us. With joy in the call that God and you have placed in our lives. Friends, this we will do without condition. This we will do without condition. So long as Christ is pleased to allow us.
Amen. And pray for us.